0: And now a word from our environment. I'm Lenny Labrizi and I created this podcast to examine our environment with words and sounds. We use a phrase or word as a starting point to learn together about our environment. Our phrase today is community gardens, strong women. This interview with Jane Weissman tells stories of the beginning of the Green Thumb Program in New York City. Hi, everyone. In the years I worked with community gardeners, I worked closely with a few strong women. Joining me today is Jane Weissman, one of those strong women and also a strong advocate for community gardeners. Hey, Jane.
1: Hey, Lenny, how are you?
0: All right, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, thanks.
0: So you were one of the first Green Thumb directors. Um, so can you tell me how did this all come about? How did we get a Green Thumb municipal gardening program? You know, Throughout the, the country, there are, there are community garden programs in many, many cities. Some are run by the city and some are run by nonprofits or a church group or something else. But Uh, I think we have one of the first uh, municipal and largest municipal gardening programs in the country. How did it all start?
1: Well, that's true. However, it did not start from a city initiative. It took another strong woman, Liz Christie, Mm -hmm. uh, to come to the city She had started throwing, as you know, because she worked for the Council on the Environment as it was called then, and headed up the open space screening program um, after founding the Green Gorillas. Uh, But Liz had taken some balloons, filled them with seeds, they were seed bombs, and lobbed them over a fence on Elizabeth Street. And that's sort of the, Official, if of apocryphal, beginning of community gardens in New York City.
0: Now we're talking um, about 1970 something or 80 something.
1: It's we're really going back to 1973 because isn't that when the green gorillas began?
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think open space screening program, what might have been about 70 75. Five. Yeah. Um, So Liz and Lise McLaughlin, the head of the council, another strong woman with the backing of Richard Abrons, whose Lewis and Anne Abrons Foundation supported the council gardens eventually, uh, came to the city and said, look, we're volunteers. We're glad to do the work, clean up the lots, do a little planting, but we really would like to know that we have some legitimacy, that you're not going to kick us off. Do you think you could give us a piece of paper? And they had come to an agency that was called the Department of City, no, the Department of General Services at the time, which had a real estate division, the Division of Real Property. And... What happened was, in response, the Division of Real Property began to issue one-year leases to these gardening groups all over the city. And this was about 1978. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of enlightened people within the agency that said, well, you know, these people have no security. There's no fence. They're completely vulnerable. They have no soil. They have no wood for building beds, raised beds, or maybe a picnic table. Um, Let's see if we can get them some money, like a community development block grant. So they filed an application with the city's office of community development within the Office of the City's Department of Management and Budget, OMB, Office of Management and Budget. <laughs> and they got money. And this, that, was
0: fed, this, this was federal money that came
1: Federal to the, money. Yeah. It was not tax levy. If it were tax levy that was demanded to run the gardens, there probably would have been no green thumb. But since the city wasn't paying for it, it wasn't tax levy, it was like, great, we got federal bucks to do this. So Green Thumb started out as with one part-time person and all that person did was issue leases. And then when it got the block grant, it began to hire people because if we were gonna have materials, you needed a warehouse to store them and from where you could distribute them. You wanted to train people and how to design, build and plant a garden. So it began to be a real program. I think it was 1980 that my predecessor, Ken Davies came and he made it a real program. Up until then, it was just run by these real estate people. Ken was a trained agronomist. So he, and he ended up working for Save the Children. So, you know, he had those community organizing skills which were really important when you're working to create community gardens.
0: Right, if you want something more than just the leasing program.
1: That's right. With the federal money, it could be more than just a leasing program And so I came to Green Thumb in 1984. Ken went off to save the children. He went to work in the Sudan. And at that time, there were about 700 gardens on the inventory. Um, Unfortunately, not all of them were established gardens and that was a problem for community development because they hated going by a fence with the Green Thumb sign that wasn't developed. So we did a massive inspection campaign and got rid of the properties that weren't gardens and ended up with about 600 real gardens and those we were really able to work with to make them better and um, During my years at Green Thumb, which were from 1984, October, until about October of 1998, um, a lot more greening programs developed within the city. So people who had leases from Green Thumb got their initial fencing and lumber and soil and seeds and shrubs and orchard trees, could take advantage of organizations like the Green Gorillas, which Liz uh, began and then Tessa Huxley took over for and ran for many years, another strong woman. Mm-hmm. And then there was Brooklyn Greenbridge that was started in Brooklyn at the Botanic Garden and Bronx Greenup at the Botanic Garden in the Bronx. And of course there was, the open space screening program with the wonderful plant-a-lots that Liz started and you and Kevin Shank and then Gerard Lordal continued with and began to work in other neighborhoods throughout the city. Those were particular to the Lower East Side. Um, And And then you had really important organizations like the Citizens Committee for New York City, uh, which trained people in organizing. So because it was so important to have a broad membership base and maybe to establish a vertical leadership base so the gardens could continue. When you're talking about community, you need to have people. Yes. And it was the people who kept the gardens going.
0: The citizens' committee also uh, gave mini grant. No. but there are little expenses, you know, tools, gloves. That some of it that Green Thumb provided, but sometimes you needed additional things or sure. some seeds that weren't available, and you found them in the grocery store. So that cost a few bucks. Yeah. So a hundred or two hundred or three hundred dollars went a long way for to for people to be able to make something out of the out of the space.
1: And there was a real impetus because the citizens committee ran the Molly Parnas Dress Up Your Neighborhood Awards, and so there was a wonderful ceremony, you know, once a year, where maybe forty gardens uh, were honored and got these little mini grants. There were also um, funding opportunities that you could apply for money beyond the Molly Parnas Awards, but. I think that many organizations operated, certainly Green Thumb did, was that the more the gardeners did for themselves, the more the organizations were apt to do for them in terms of supplying them with extra stuff. Yeah, yes. You know, the gardeners and you know, I can name so many of them because it was such a joy to work with these dedicated people. They were so passionate about these gardens and they would come to me and I'm sure they came to you and to everybody else who helped them and say, thank you, thank you. And I would say, no, 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 no. It's we who are thanking you because you're doing this work. You are making your neighborhood stronger and healthier. You are changing your lives, your neighborhoods, and you're going on to other projects in the neighborhood. The, the gardens, I think in many ways, were a real, maybe the first act of self-empowerment for many of these groups.
0: Oh, absolutely, the young know, people, you know, all right, so very often the impetus was the block had a vacant, dirty lot, so let's get together and clean it up because we live here, we're staying here, you know, we can't wait for the city to come Let's just do it. And then, then they would see that there was a problem with the school, so they get involved with the school or with the sanitation pickup or a, a drug problem on the block. So yeah, it was it a was, uh, proving ground for, for neighborhood leaders. And so it was a great thing that they were also getting this training. And that brings up the, the um, Green Thumb Grow Together Um, which was a a training opportunity and also a a community organizing opportunity. Um, Can you talk about how that, the the genesis of that and and
1: describe it, it, what it I am? So I joined Green Thumb in October of 1984. Three weeks later, I went to Austin for my first American Community Gardening Association conference and actually gave a talk on uh, one of Green Thumb's programs, the Land Reclamation Project. From your there wealth of
0: experience in, th- in your three months. <laughs>
1: by three weeks.
0: <laughs> three, weeks.
1: By three weeks. But they had already put me on a tractor, so I kind of knew what it was like. Uh, but, you know, they created meadows on these large tracts of land, and the whole idea was to make them attractive enough that they would be developed and get them off the 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 land rolls and made into something unlike the gardens which we wanted to preserve and of course we'll talk about that in a little bit. So um I guess it must have been about November or December um I'm talking with the PR people in the agency about you know things we could do for Green Thumb and I don't know where the idea of a conference came up, but it was like, okay, sounds like a great plan. Let's do it. And within that meeting, we came up with the name, the GTGT, the Green Thumb Grow Together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Green Thumb was a capital G, a capital T, nobody could ever spell it correctly. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to all my gardening colleagues. Um, and of course, many of them were at Cornell Cooperative Extension. Gerard was there. Were you at that first conference? Were you on staff in 85?
0: No, I started in 86. so okay.
1: A, so know. we had that first conference in March around, you know around the first day of spring. And um, it started at 8 in the morning with breakfast. And we served lunch. And we had two sessions of workshops in the morning and two sessions of workshops in the afternoon. Um, we, We offered 19 workshops. We thought we were so great in offering 19 workshops. These days, over 50 workshops are offered at the Green Thumb Grow Together. It's extraordinary.
0: And and this year it was virtual too, so. uh, What
1: an achievement that must have been. Yeah. (laughs) But one of the things we did, and they were great. I mean, they just range from, you know, very basic topics, you know, about soils to more elaborate topics about orchards, Um, you know, planting orchard trees, there was some community organizing, there were some arts and crafts. But in the afternoon, one of the things we did, and and I think this was very important, we had breakout sessions by geographic neighborhoods. So we had all the Manhattan groups together, and maybe there were two breakout sections for the Bronx, and one for Queens, and Probably two for Brooklyn because most of the half the community gardens were in Brooklyn. And that was a way for people to meet each other and to know where there might be a neighboring garden that they could visit and maybe swap seeds or borrow tools or just to see what they were doing, you know, with a rain barrel um, or compost area. And I think those were very, very useful. And then we tried to have, you know, one big party in every borough in the summertime and just, you know, choose one big, beautiful garden and invite everybody from the borough to that garden. And we would have food and chit chat and just a really nice time, Um, you know, not... Because we know that people stay pretty close to their home there have been studies that people don't venture most of the time more than three blocks from their home in any direction but it could be just in one direction and not know about the garden two blocks behind them
0: in the direction they don't go
1: (laughs) exactly and there could be a really you know there could be people there they really should get to know because it could be a really nice partnership so you know, there are all these groups. And of course, at the Grow Together, the gardeners, the Green Thumb Gardeners, learned about all these other organizations that could help them. And we always said, hey, get whatever you can from whomever you can get it, yes. um, because we all want to help. And it seemed to work. And we all worked pretty well together, too. Yes. Um, I think, you know, we all kind of had particular focuses, but over overlapping focuses.
0: Well, so part of what we did at Council on the Environment and then Grow NYC was sort of uh, do the things that Green Thumb couldn't do for one reason or another. You know, the the procurement, you know, for the city, it was, you know, very, Involved and complicated, whereas we could very easily buy materials because we were a nonprofit, and as long as you know we got one person's approval, not you know a whole line of people to approve something, um, and you know there wasn't rules about well you can only spend this amount of money and you can only buy it from this particular vendor, you know. So that's what that that was. I think. Part of what our niche was was to be able to help the gardens when Green Thumb couldn't.
1: And you had the grow truck, so you would, you or Lars or whomever was driving it, would come to the warehouse, and we, you know, pick up the allocation of materials for people who didn't have cars or couldn't get to the warehouse yeah. or didn't have a truck because the initial allocation would be a few rolls of fencing and four by four pieces of lumber for the fence posts and then there were two by tens for the beds and and tools and cement it was
0: was heavy and it was bulky so nobody has that kind of vehicle in the city particularly in in the neighborhoods where the gardens are
1: that's right so the grow truck was great and also cases they came out of the Vera Institute of Justice you know these guys that were doing community service work. Clayton what was Clayton's last name
0: It Williams
1: yes Clayton Williams really great great guy and he would sometimes come to the warehouse and do pickups and those guys often would install the fences for the gardeners especially if it was a group of older people
0: you know help unload the truck you know, those yeah
1: because kind of yeah. you know a lot of the gardeners were older people from the american south originally mm-hmm. And, you know, they just didn't have the strength anymore to dig those post holes and, you know, make the cement and put the cement in and, you know, all that stuff, put in the posts and then stretch the wire and then bang the beds together.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, it, It was a great collaboration of, you know, agencies and nonprofits that you wouldn't ne- wouldn't necessarily say well this is a community gardening <laughs> organization like cases as, as you're mentioning right oh, now um, yeah. that that really made it all all come together and work together um,
1: and other agencies were really helpful too it's like I used to say that my agency Department of General Services was the least helpful of all in fact the Land, for the most part, that the gardens were on was disposable property. It was land that had come into the city ownership because it had been abandoned. Maybe there had been a building there that had been torched in the 80s. There was a lot of arson for insurance purposes. Landlords abandoned buildings and you know, for not, and there was non-payment of taxes. So the city had this glut of property that it wanted to get rid of. So there was a lot of land around and, you know, the gardeners wanted to put dibs on it and of course it just wasn't so easy. They had to fill out an application and it had to go before the disposition committee to make sure that no agency was interested in it.
0: yeah, some of that disinvest investment actually went back to the 1960s, you know, the, when the Bronx was burning in 1967, and, you know, right. neighborhoods like Bushwick um, and Brownsville, you know, and a and and lot of that land stayed vacant for many, 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 many years.
1: Yeah. Um, well, Bushwick really suffered after the blackout of 1977 because there was all that looting that took place. Yeah. Um, And it took years, years for Bushwick to recover, if it's even fully recovered.
0: You just just alluded to the fact that the Department of General Services was probably the least helpful city (laughs) agencies. And that brings up another question about um, Green Thumb actually got, there was a crisis of, department of general service or what services or if it was called department of citywide administrative services at the time decided they didn't really this wasn't their thing they were about property you know getting rid of property not not managing and not like you know having parties and 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 conferences and and all that kind of stuff what happened Green Thumb now faced a crisis. Listen to the next part of Community Gardens, Strong Women, my interview with Jane Weissman as Jane explains how Green Thumb was saved. We hope this podcast has provided you with helpful information and sounds. Please tell your friends about, and now a word from our environment.